Rabbi Judah Kerbel is rabbi and the second youngest member of the Queen's Jewish Center in New York. I came across Rabbi Kerbel's sermon for Parshas Vayetze, published online, and I was struck by its poignancy and his candor. We discussed the purpose of a rabbi sharing personal challenges with a congregation. I think there's a place where a rabbi talking about themselves, their struggles. Um, I, I think that's uh, that's valuable because eh? I think people, you know, want to feel uh, close to you, and it helps people understand that uh, that you're human, and there are things that people can learn from how we deal with these things. How to strike the right balance between being inspirational or using the pulpit as therapy. We also discuss some of the goals of a rabbi's sermon. The goal of a preacher is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted. And even how to use humor effectively from the pulpit. Don't do it just for the purpose of like warming up an audience, but if it's something that really actually gets to the core of the message of the drusha, I found that could be an effective way to open. And now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Rabbi Judah Kerbel. I'm going to kind of jump in from like the middle where I, I saw your your drusha. Uh, uh, you, you printed it up afterwards. The one on Parshas by Yehi, uh, the, the the big uh, you know. Uh, yeah. maybe, maybe you want to talk a little bit about the background of it. Uh, okay, yeah. So um, that was a drusha I gave last year. Parshas Vayetze, and I decided to post it online this year. I think I actually first posted it as a Times of Israel blog, and then I decided to also put it on uh, Yi Torah. Um, and that comes from a very personal place. Uh, my wife and I have had a long journey with infertility at this point. And uh, you know, for, for a while, it just we, we kind of expected that that, that could happen um, for us. Um, and we rolled with the punches for a little while, and we didn't really talk about it with anyone. I think our family knew a little bit was going on, but not because of of uh, shame or even pain. But for for a while, it was just kind of like, okay, so like we're gonna you know figure this out, and we're gonna do what we can do. Um, as time went on, it got a little bit uh, more painful. Uh, but uh, you know, we kind of kept our cards close and. Not like we were hiding it from people, but we didn't actively talk about it. And then came a point where it's just been going on for long enough that um, at that point, at the point that I gave the drusha, some of my congregants uh, knew that we were dealing with this. And but not necessarily. I, I, again, some people might have uh, suspected. I don't know, but um, but we figured that it was kind of worth just sort of putting out there. Um, and even then we decided, um, and, and I, that drusha in particular, I ran everything by my wife. Uh, it was her decision to, for me to talk about it, uh, publicly and, um, and, and I, when you, I, when you I, say uh, it was her decision, it, it, meaning she prompted you to it or, or she agreed with it? Uh, I, I think she prompted it actually. It, it was something that like, we kind of like talked about from time to time. And then I think there was a point where she said, you know, if you want to talk about this, I'm ready for this to um, to be out there a little bit. So, but but the the, the both the Dvartar piece and everything around it, I, I ran by her. Um, even then, we decided, or I, I decided um, not to really talk about us per se, but to talk about uh, the concept. It was obviously it's very present uh, in the Parshiot, and I think it's very meaningful. 
and the whole scheme of things that it's something that most of our matriarchs in, in Kana uh, went through. Um, so we, we didn't talk about us, but the fact that I was talking about it and I think the message behind it, I think uh, hopefully gave a sense that uh, it was coming from a personal place. And and then I, even then I decided also to kind of put in the context of of Jewish history. And I think, you know, on the one hand, again, we, we didn't, we didn't want to, we didn't feel like we needed to to hide it. And I think we even thought it was good for people to know what was going on in the background of our lives. And even then, I think when it comes to, and that's a, you know, this is a big question, you know, in terms of how the rabbi speaks to the community, do you talk about yourself? Do you talk about your struggles and the like? And I think, I think it's, I think there's a place where a rabbi talking about them, themselves, their struggles. Um, I, I think that's uh, that's valuable, a because I think people you know want to feel uh, close to you, and it helps people understand that uh, that you're human, and there are things that people can learn from how we deal with these things. And at the same time, speaking from the pulpit uh, shouldn't be therapy, and um, and it shouldn't be self centered. Um, but there should be a sense that it's, you know, that there's something constructive being done with it. So that's kind of how I decided to um, go about that particular uh, drusha was that, uh, you know, I I think that I, I felt that people could sort of put the pieces together that, uh, you know, the fact that I was talking about infertility, we don't have kids, you've known us for long enough, um, would kind of uh, put that together. And at the same time, I didn't you know, I didn't want it just to be like, I'm doing this so I can get something off my chest, but that there's some sort of a bigger message. So when you, when you prefaced it, uh, you said it something to the effect of, you know, this is a, a very personal uh, topic for me. Um, is that where you left it? Is that, did you say anything more about it other than that? Did... I, so that actually, I think I only added that, um, I think I add that specifically for the Times of Israel piece, but I don't. But that was not a preface I gave when I uh, when I gave the drasha. Uh, so, so it was really implied. It was for people yeah. to. You didn't address it head on. Uh, but, yeah. but oh, yeah, there, there, there are people who there are people who like knew explicitly, so they definitely they definitely got it. And um, again, at this point, you know, I, I I don't know what people say and don't say, but. Um, but I imagine at this point that people kind of have a uh, have a sense of what's going on. Mm -hmm. What was the the feedback that you got from it afterwards? Uh, it, it first in 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 uh, live and then also in print. Um, yeah, I think people people were touched by it. Um, I think uh, people appreciated that we were able to talk about it. Um, so I, I think I think people found it to be a point of experience, and like yeah, I posted it on my Facebook page, and uh, I think people um, I think people were just like inspired to see the resilience that we've built, which is obviously not something that we chose to sort of go into, but you know once we're going through it, I think uh, I think people were touched by it. Was that the first thing that you had kind of revealed about yourself personally from from the pulpit, or or do you was this? Uh uh like a, like a theme that you you try to mine your own experience for for some uh you know whether it's challenges or struggles or or uh, uh successes or things like that do you do you do you divulge of yourself i don't know if that was the first i there are there are anecdotes that come up i don't know i i think that was probably one of the deepest uh 
things that I divulge, but um, I mean, some, sometimes, sometimes in a drush, I just talk about an experience um, that we had. Um, so that's not, you know, that's not like self-disclosure in terms of some, you know, the deep, dark secrets of life, but, sure. um, but, um, but I find, I find that, uh, you know, I find it's Dafka, like when it's like vacation or even just like taking like a night off and we go out, you know, and do something and experience the world that the world is a classroom a little bit. And I bring that in a little bit. So, um, so I, you know, I'll, I'll talk about, um, you know, things that I've experienced or things that have happened to me. Um, I, I do, one, one thing that does come to mind is that um, on Rosh Hashanah, I talked a little bit about, um, in, in talking about Imbuna, I, um, you know, I just made, in, in passing, I made a comment about how, um, how I struggle with anxiety. And uh, I was talking about that through the context of Shivisi Hashem and Nati Tamid and, you know, have, there's a couple different, a uh, couple different applications of that pasuk, but part of that is meant to be sort of a statement of Amuna that uh, that when Hashem is, you know, in, in front of when I put Hashem in front of me, so Shivisi, like I feel uh, equanimity, and uh, and I said that that's sometimes easier said than done, and I know that because I myself uh, struggle with anxiety, and uh, and there 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 was. I mean, I'm sure there are a number of people in the audience who struggle with anxiety. Um, one time when I went to see a psychologist just about sort of like a one-off session and for insurance purposes, she gave me a thing that said uh, general uh, anxiety disorder because she said that you know everybody has anxiety. So you can kind of- I got one of those when I was that. a kid too. Yeah. Um, but, but there was there was somebody who uh, who really appreciate, he, he, you know, he heard that comment and he appreciated it. Um, so I don't I don't have a there there aren't necessarily so many times that I've gone out of my way to like uh, again talk about anything because I don't want like I don't want to do therapy in front of everybody but when I feel like something is relevant I don't have a problem necessarily you know talking about some of the very sort of human things that uh, that I go through. Right. I guess maybe the guide, guideline would be like Litoellas, right? If there's a purpose to it, if there's a point yeah, to it. Yeah, uh, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, is there anyone that you uh, look up to in terms of their speaking style that that, uh, that may be used as a, as a model for some of these types of uh, um, kind of deeper types of uh, uh, talks? Uh, anyone that you've seen speak and say, you know, well, you know, I'd like to do something like that, like a little bit more, you know, transformational or, or moving or. Uh, I mean, I, I'd say my mentors in in Drash are uh, my, I would say my live mentors are uh, Rabbi Menachem Penner, who taught, um, still teaches homiletics class at uh, at YU for a long time, it was Rabbi Lukstein. Um, and I actually did, I did take a couple of sessions with Rabbi Lukstein uh, one summer, but the sort of required class, I think for the most part is transitioned to Rabbi Penner. Uh, Rabbi J.J. Schachter is definitely one of my, um, one of the individuals who's shaped my uh, many, aspects of the craft of drash for me. Um, one particular rabbi that I look up to is uh, my in-laws rabbi in Silver Spring, Maryland, Rabbi Bram Weinberg. Um, I just, uh, I'm always inspired um, by his, uh, by, by his Divrei Torah and, uh, and, his, and his speaking style, um, something that I look up to, not necessarily something that uh, I entirely emulate, but uh, but someone I, I look up to. Um, 
And uh, but in terms of the craft, also, um, you know, Russell Vechik and Rabbi Lamb, uh, Rabbi Norman Lamb, uh, have made a big impact on me also in terms of their uh, in terms of the sort of the craft of the of the of Russia. Uh -huh. Would you read through his sermons? Is that is that how you uh, Rabbi Lamb? Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I was not, I never uh, merited to hear him live, but uh, the year that he passed away, I I read uh, the volumes Russia the door out. Um, I, I read them through from cover to cover mm -hmm. that, that year. Yeah. Um, let me ask you also about, uh, you are a, a middle school Rebbe, if, if I understand uh, So I, I was. I'm <laughs> not anymore, which itself is the whole story. But uh, Okay. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, uh, so, so what I was going to ask you was, is that in terms of, you know, I mean, obviously there's a difference between classroom environment and uh, more, more formal presentation in, in the shul. But uh, in terms of the managing attention, trying to get people's uh, to, to kind of stay engaged, you know, locked in on you, um, how do you how do you see the similarities and differences between kids and adults? Um, I mean, I think the fact that it's different is probably why I'm still doing one and not the other. Um, it, it, it's it's hard with kids. I mean, that was that was my experience. Um, you know, I, I think I think the thing that's sort of you know common is that you have to think a little bit outside of the box, and um, and it can't just be about the content, but there has to be some sort of uh, hook to engage. Um, with with kids, actually, I think one thing that sort of I liked was that it was actually much easier. I felt like to interact in a classroom with kids in terms of teaching versus sometimes adults come to a Shia or a Drusha and, you know, they, they're just happy for you to speak to them. But, you know, but if you put something out there, there's more hesitancy to to, to pipe up or to say something. You know, there, there's, there's certain people who do, and um, but sometimes I find adult audiences could be a little bit uh, more passive, but, um, but kids have a, you know, kids have a lot to say and, um, and are not uh, shy to, you know, th th things that adults might be sort of ashamed to be like, I was like, oh, is that like, is that like a ridiculous question? Like kids are not as uh, bashful about asking those things. And it can actually, um, it, it, it can make things interesting and can make things uh, very meaningful in the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, so, but, uh, you know, but there is, uh, with both audiences, there's definitely a, a need to, um, to, to think intentionally about uh, how you hook them. And one thing, one thing that I tackled in the Drusha last year, I gave a Drusha called the value of boring. Uh, and uh, it was based on, uh, I, I think the impetus for it, there are a couple of things that sparked the idea. One was, um, one was a, a cover, uh, front, uh, cover page story from the Atlantic uh, last spring. I was talking about how the metaverse and just everything on the internet has made it impossible for us to experience any sort of, uh, of boredom and uh, and the like. Sihas Moser, that my rabbi, Rabbi Jeremy Weider, gave around the same time also sparked it. But uh, you know, my challenge was not to uh, say to the, to uh, to Batim, um, you know, you should be. Uh, you know, you should be susceptible to to being bored and should, you know, just, uh, you know, let anything go. I think it's, I, I, I would, uh, you know, I 100% I advocate that uh, that Torah needs to be engaging, it's on the speaker to make it engaging. And we find in Chazal that, uh, 
and was a Reva who always began uh, began with Milad Bidichusa uh, that uh, that even Chazal there was a recognition that you need to find a way to uh, to to grab people in. Um, but uh, but the, the sort of the challenge I put out there is like what what's our what's our goal in coming to uh, to learn Torah is the goal entertainment or is it uh, education? And I think that's something that's something that I think both um, in schools and in uh, in schools and everything um, it, it's a it's a question for us to think about again, not to sort of excuse uh, you know bad delivery or, or bad preparation or or sort of you know lazy ways of uh, of preparing. But um, you know, but 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 what? Where is that? Uh, you know, and, and I guess as a community, you can you know maybe it's something that you thought about. But like, um, you know, as as a speaker, is, is is it really my job to entertain them or to to educate them? And like, what's the difference? And like, where where do they come together? Um, something I tried to uh, to tackle there um, a little bit, in addition to the fact that uh, you know that. Um, that yeah, I, I think there's different goals in in learning Torah and entertainment that and and that are that are noble, and something that's worth thinking about. Yeah, I remember hearing a lecture by uh, Rabbi Shlomo Brevda uh, Zatzal, and he said that uh, that it, one of these shivas in in Europe, I forget, it's Kelm or Slovakia or, or somewhere, where they would intentionally speak in a monotone, so that you you would be forced to only pay attention to the token and nothing else <laughs> and, and you would have to struggle against your lethargy and, and everything it would strip away everything except for the token that was definitely not my message but <laughs> yeah yeah it's a different different uh different generation um tell me a little bit about qjc the queen's jewish center what's what's the demographic there because you know, you're saying that uh you know i guess looking at me as being sort of a younger individual um, so I actually have a relatively older population, um, which actually speaks to the fact that perhaps that uh, not once in my four and a half years have I gotten a complaint that my drusha was too long. Um, <laughs> and usually it doesn't matter how long you speak. Usually somebody, you know, for somebody it's 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 too long, but um, it's a, it's a mostly a empty nester uh, crowd. Um, we have some younger families also, um, but I'm the second youngest adult in the show and my wife is the youngest adult in the show um and uh you know even with some of the younger families you know a number of them are let's say like you know five to ten years uh older than us um but but it, you know it makes it makes it interesting in terms of thinking about audience and uh, and content um you know so what are some of your goals with with your drushes to this demographic um what are you trying to accomplish I, I mean, I think there could be a few goals to giving a dress up. I, I think in general, um, one goal that I think that's always overarching a dress up is to educate. And I think there should always be something new that I take away. I, I try not to use sources that are trite or even if there is sort of like a, a well-known, you know, something from Gemara Rashi or or something like that. I try to, you know, give it, you know, sort of a different perspective so that I'm so that uh, so that one is always coming away. And and I think for for, for me also, like I, you know, I, I think it's important to um I think it's important to, that there's always something new that's uh, being taught. So I think that's always sort of uh at, at the surface, but it really depends on the drusha because sometimes 
the goal is to sort of inspire an action um, that there's a particular um, this particular action item that I want to communicate. Sometimes it's to, um, I think especially like when I think about a lot of Israel drushas, um, it's just to sort of take something that we're experiencing it and to give expression to it and uh, to be able to empathize and to um, to console. You know, there's an expression that, uh, that uh, you know, that some people, uh, that the goal of a preacher is to um, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted. So when you're trying to afflict the comforted, so the so more it's more likely you're probably focusing on some sort of action item. But um, but sometimes also I think there's great value in just being able to say you know with COVID with the Israel stuff to say like we're going through something and here's a Torah perspective to help us frame it and to and to sit with it um, that can leave people coming away um, feeling like that. You know that they're seen and that they uh, and that they come with a little comfort, and I think there's also, I guess, a, a third element is to articulate values. I think there's also, um, you know, ideas can really shape uh, who we are and what we value, and uh, so I think sometimes there's also Bowman Russia just uh, to give expression to uh, to values and ideas that are uh, important to us that uh, that stick with us also. Mm -hmm. So when in the week do you begin? You know, everybody has a different process. Uh, right now is Monday. You know, where, where are you holding in your address? <laughs> I sort of actually have an idea already. I, so one thing that I, I did from the beginning of my time here was that I would always include a topic for the drusha uh, in the weekly handout, um, which I think, I guess the initial goal was just to give people a sense of you know, I'm talking about maybe to excite them a little bit. Uh, one thing that it does for me is that it means that towards the beginning of the week, I'm actually thinking about what I plan to talk about. Um, because, you know, some, sometimes I, you know, in terms of actually putting together Drusha, it might be, if I'm lucky, it's it's Wednesday night, but uh, sometimes it's uh, Thursday, Thursday night, even Friday. Um, but even like when it's a little bit more last minute, um, I'm not starting from scratch, but I've already kind of figured out like what is I talk, want to talk about. I usually have some sort of vort source in mind or something, and then it's just uh, it's it's the crafting um, that comes a little bit later in the week. But uh, but having that multi-step process, uh, I actually find is very helpful. That I'm not uh, panicking, uh, you know, a day or two before that. And I was like, I was like, I, I was like, I have to do this all right now, and I have no idea where to start. So I, I think that's actually very helpful. Yeah. So you said earlier that sometimes there's an action that you have in mind for the uh, congregation to take. So how does that uh, play into the preparation process? Because sometimes the action is not necessarily uh, inherent in the parsha. You know, let's say you want people to start uh, coming to minion. Uh, daily minion is 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 attendance is low. So how you how you find do you try to pull that out of the parsha somehow, or how do you what would you do in a situation like that? I think it guess depends on what the situation, the action item is. Like sometimes there's something going on in the world and it needs to be addressed, and then you kind of have to look into the parsha to figure out like if there is anything that speaks to that or hints to it. Um, but you know, some something like um, you know, minion attendance is kind of something that's always looming in the background. And you know, if there's 
something that partially that kind of uh, uh, jumps out to me. So I'll use that as an opportunity to to talk about it. So it, it can kind of go both ways there. Mm -hmm. Okay. And are you more of a uh, notes person in terms of, you know, how does that work? Do you write it out? Do you have some loose points? Do you read what from the script? What, what kind of uh, what kind of delivery would you say you? I've vacillated over the years on that. I think at first I was um, I was more, you know, I, I wrote I wrote it out and had the whole thing in front of me. Um, when I was a rabbinic intern, um, I got feedback that, you know, people would love to see me sort of speak more from notes than from like an actual script. And I did that for a while. And I did that when I started in the shul. And then there was a whole period where I wasn't really giving, um, well, I wasn't giving drushes at all. I, I, I was writing them, uploading, uploading them. Um, and then that was during COVID uh, during COVID. Yeah. 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 Uh, during COVID, I, I was I was just uploading them, and then even sort of like once we came back to show, I would give like a three minute Bar Torah. I usually that was usually like you know I, I was learning Ramban that year Shabbos morning before show. I would go through Ramban, find a Ramban that uh, that interested me, and just spend you know three minutes talking about that. And then there was an actual drasha that was you know uploaded, printed, whatever. Um, after COVID, I kind of uh, having. I, I just went back. I I think out of habit, I just went back to um, to to reading them as they were written, and I, I think there there are pros and cons to both ways. I, even when I was speaking from notes, I would usually write out the whole thing and then kind of transfer it just just sort of an outline. Um, I find that writing it out is very helpful because you might think that you know what you're going to say. But then you find yourself kind of like circling and you haven't really landed. And, you know, you, you know, like I use that word, but is there a synonym? And um, so I, I find that writing it out really helps keep it, um, keep it tight. So I've, I've, I've always written some sort of draft for the most part. Um, but, um, but I also, I guess I found in, in recent years that I've also been able to find a way to, uh, to have the whole thing written out in front of me and still be able to make uh, a good amount of eye contact and to also bring in sort of the passion and emotion. Um, I think I think one thing that's made me feel vindicated at certain points is when uh, if there are circumstances where I don't write it out and somebody asks for a copy of it, uh, <laughs> I don't really have a copy of it. So I think hopefully that tells me that people can't really tell the difference between when I, um, you know, when I have, uh, you know, fully, uh, written drusha when it's just a few notes. Um, there was actually an interesting experiment uh, a couple weeks ago where I didn't have time to really write the drusha at all before Shabbos. Um, again, I had sort of the, the vort in mind, but I, I, I didn't write anything before Shabbos. Um, so when I got up uh, Shabbos morning, I literally had nothing in front of me. Um, and it worked, but I, I, still, I still felt like that even like with having most of it in mind it's just like it wasn't it wasn't as polished and as tight because you know you're you're, you're looking you're looking for the word and like you know where exactly did i want to end so um so i i personally feel like having some sort of um you know whether it's notes or or even uh the thing fully written out i feel like i i, I also like i i like writing so i feel like when i prepare a drusha and like i really like think about how i formulate things i i 
come to like those formulations and I don't want to like, I don't want to like lose, I don't want to lose that because I feel like there's a certain eloquence that comes when I've really thought about how I'm phrasing things. Um, so that's something that also, so it's something I've struggled with and, you know, some people might, you know, I definitely know people who say that it's much better to speak without notes or with minimal notes, but I feel like everybody has to do what works best from them and what's going to make you shine the most. And some people can really just get up and, uh, you know, and 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 say it all out without having anything in front of them. And I feel like I'm a little bit more eloquent when I have something in front of me. Yeah. How do you measure the effectiveness of, of your drasha for you? What's considered success? It's a good question. Uh, I mean, comments that are made afterwards, definitely, you know, I mean, obviously you don't get everybody coming over to you every single drasha telling you that that was a home run because at a certain point, not every drasha ends up being a home run. And, uh, um, but, uh, you know, at a certain point, once people are used to you, so even if you give a good drasha, so they're hopefully used to you giving good drasha, they don't have to like, you know, pat you on the back for that. Um, but, but sometimes if somebody, you know, makes a comment that there was something particular that spoke to them. So, um, so, so I know that it worked or, um, you know, my wife is also a good, uh, parameter of uh that was really good or like that wasn't your best so yeah we all need one of those do, do you find that people are able to retain uh do, do people you ever get people coming back to you and uh you know bring up things that you've said in the past or and i think if i'm like realistic with myself like how much do i remember that um you know how much do i remember what you know there are certain i, I think i think there are probably some certain speeches that um that I do remember somewhat, but I also, I guess the way I look at speeches and even things that I read, and like, I don't remember everything that I read also, I feel like um, Torah is building blocks and, you know, you might not necessarily remember exactly what was said, or you might not remember everything, but, you know, things build up over time and they shape you. And even if you don't exactly remember what it is, um, it can still have made an impression and still influenced you some way or another. And, and it could be that later on that, uh, you know, that, uh, that, you know, you remember something because, uh, um, because you heard it in the past. So um, even for myself, when I get sort of frustrated that I don't remember, you know, I just like, you know, I heard a great Russia and I don't even remember what the person said, or, you know, I read a, read a great article, but I don't remember what was in it. So I think sometimes the goal is not necessarily to remember everything uh, word for word, but uh, um, to sort of shape who we are. Right, right. Um, how do you deal with, uh, I mean, everybody has sometimes people nod off in the middle of, a, you know, a, a, a drush or, you know, listening passively tends to, to you know, people tune out. Um, do you have a way of dealing with that or is that is that do you, do you experience that let me ask you what's some of the the worst feedback you've ever gotten some of the worst feedback that i ever yeah, got from russia there can always be the um i didn't like what you said kind of you know that i've gotten that feedback not often but on occasion somebody took issue with something that i said um something that I had to work on for a long time was that, so in my shoulders, it's a, it's a huge sanctuary. It seats like 500 people. 
um, Shul's not that big anymore in terms of the audience, but you know, people are kind of spread out throughout all the quadrants. So to be able to project and enunciate um, in a fashion that everybody could hear, um, it was often it was often uh, um, a speed factor that people would say that. And I do talk pretty fast. Um, so I had to get used to speaking a little bit slower. And even, even now, I probably, uh, I'm, more, I'm more conscious of it, but I could always, um, I could always uh, use a little bit of work on slowing down. So that was, that was kind of like the main, uh, main criticism was usually not about uh, the content, but it was more just like that people wanted to hear what was being said, but you just, uh, but it was uh, too the fast or not loud enough for it. What? The, the delivery, you're saying? Yeah. Got it. And so some of the some of the best feedback, what are, what are some of those positive things that have emerged out of out of your drushing? One thing that I was appreciative of, particularly Balabas, who always tries to say something about the drusha that has some sort of like pun based on what I talked about. Um, so I always I always kind of look forward to that. And um, and it comes from a place of uh, comes from a place of friendship and uh, appreciation. So um, so uh, I, I opened a drusha a couple of weeks ago with uh, with a Harry Potter related anecdote. So he said uh, he's so so this one I remember he said he said that Joshua was fantastic and I first because of fantasy. Um, so um, I don't even remember all of them, but but some some of the, some of them are extremely clever. Um, so that's just something in general. But um, I think when people feel like that I spoke to what was important to them, what's on their mind uh, is something that's. Um, Something that's uh, very touching. I, I, I think some of my, I, I struggle sometimes before writing Yisker Drasha because I'm like, what can I, you know, there's Yisker four times a year, four times a year. I'm like, what's kind of a new thing that I can say that's related to Yisker? Um, but I think some of those Drashas have actually been some of my uh, best ones. And, um, and also with my, um, my Shabashuba Drashas the last couple of years, I've gotten that was the best Shabbat Shuvah Russia, and then the year after that was the best Shabbat Shuvah Russia. So, um, so you know, occasionally people do really, uh, you know, when you really gave your best, people really do come forward and say that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. What areas would you say you still struggle with? What are what are your challenges with the Russia? If you could improve in a couple areas, you know, someone can wave a magic wand over your head and say, "Yeah, I could." <laughs> you know. I, I like I I wish that I could. Uh, I wish on some level that I could speak without notes in front of me. I think that would be, I think that, you know, combination of that and, um, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think, I think it's, I think it's more the delivery. I think, I think my content I'm usually, uh, extremely proud of and delivery sometimes is better sometimes. So, um, my wife says that I've, I've grown tremendously, um, over the years. And I think I have also, but um, but you know when I when I uh, when I look at some of the dynamite speakers, it's always uh, you know I'm, I'm always uh, you know thinking about trying to match their level, which is something to aspire to. Yeah, something something to aim for. Um, tell me about the length of your drushes. 
Yeah, so uh, so as, as I mentioned, one thing I've been very blessed with is that um, I've never uh, I've never had anybody complain that I spoke too long. Um, I would say they're probably between ten and fifteen, but yeah, I think some people have some very sort of dogmatic. It's, same thing with like the you know with having notes in front of you. Some people have some very dogmatic like ideas of like this is the best way to speak and this is the best length to speak uh, and, and whatnot. Um, and I, I I feel like the general rule should be you have to keep your audience engaged and um. And and and, uh, and and there's a sort of a social contract also, right? So if the audience is expecting you to speak for 15 minutes, you speak for 25. So that's a big problem. Um, but um, but I I think I, if if the content is engaging them, I, I said when the first rush I gave after the war broke out, um, I, I said pretty upfront that. Um, that this was going to be a little bit of a longer drush. So I put, I put that out there, um, but I also felt like that there was, you know, there was a lot in my mind. There was a lot to talk about. And, uh, and, and you know, at the same time, I think people were still processing a lot also. So I felt like, uh, I felt like that was a little bit warranted, but I think that's also sort of an advantage of um, writing drushes before whether or not you again speak directly from paper or not, but when you've really given uh, the time to lay it out, so you then know going into it how long it's going to be, and you can try to think about like you know what's extraneous here, what can I take out, and then you know and it's staying out. Um, so that's how that's how I, that's how I manage that also is that before before giving the drush, you know I I see what's laid out and I try to think about like, you know, what's, what's really necessary here, what's helpful, and like, what are the things that I can take out? Mm -hmm. Do you ever prepare a drusha and when you get up to the pulpit, let's say, or, or even for, let's say, uh, just in the beginning of davening, uh, it just doesn't feel like it's the right drusha for, for the morning and, and you kind of have to pivot or adjust or um, jettison, does that ever happen? I can't remember a particular time, except that the morning of Shmini and Saras, um, I heard on my way to Shul what was going on in Israel, and I gave a lot of thought on my way to Shul, and the beginning of Shul about what I, you know, what I wanted to do with the drasha at that point. I figured out a way to bridge because again, the being that Shmini and Saras, there was a little bit of a Yisker uh, component, and it is a yunt of drasha, and something, but it was, it was also Kohelet, so. Um, it happened to be like a little bit of a more somber drusha to begin with. So I figured out a way to sort of transition from that to talking about um, what had just broken out. Um, I actually said um, at some point, this is the end of my prepared remarks, and went in to talk about uh, the Israel stuff. Um, so some people said that they actually found that to be like very effective, that, um, you know, that I prepared something, but that I was ready to bring you know to bring that into what was going on and to address the situation of the moment so that was something i really had to think about what the uh with the advent of ai uh and chat gpt and all, this, all these things how, how do you see that factoring into uh drushes do you, do you do you use it at all do you uh do you think it should be used but for better or worse um i don't really use it that much at all 
uh, I am starting to think about how AI could really be a tool not to produce the content for you, but to edit it or to give you other ideas uh, or the like. I actually gave a drusha about this. Um, that, uh, but the whole the whole concept, right? By Daber Hashem and Moshe Lemor. What's what's the Lemor? And the Rabban uh, talks about. I don't remember what the exact uh, formulation was, but the Rabban talks about how you know that that there's that it's that something unique that Hakadosh Baruch Hu was saying um, in that moment, and I use that to sort of talk about how you know that uh, AI can come up with things for us, but you know we are unique people, and the way you know how you know what we communicate and how we communicate it um, is a unique expression of, of who we are. So. I mean, I could say also that um, you know there are a lot of resources available for rabbis um, to get drasha material, and I, I use that sometimes to spark an idea. But I'm very uncomfortable with completely lifting something that somebody else has used because I feel like it needs to be an authentic expression of me. If I'm if I'm getting up and speaking, I want it to be that this is like something that. Um, that this is something that you know you're not just getting from online or somebody else's, but 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 I'm giving you a piece of me when I'm when I'm speaking. Um, so that's something that's uh, that's important to me. To me is that there has to be sort of an authenticity and uh, genuineness um, to uh, to what I'm saying. So AI I could be a useful tool that maybe I'll take a little bit more advantage of, but um, I, I would I don't think I'll ever put uh, ask AI to write a dresser for me and just deliver that because. I feel like that's that's not that's that's giving over content, but it's not giving um, it's it's not giving over sort of the neshama that I think is important in Russia. Right. Do you speak elsewhere besides your your shul? Do you find yourself uh, you get, get different speaking engagements from time to time? Every now and then, not frequently, but you know, so sort of twice a year, I speak oh, speak elsewhere. Uh -huh. So in those times, how do you, every time you get up uh, in front of a new audience that, you know, you have the luxury of having people who know you, trust you, like you, uh, you built yeah. up that relationship uh, over four, four and a half years or so. Um, when, when you get up to speak elsewhere, how do you uh, establish that, that trust and connection and, and relationship to get people to, to be interested and in, in, in wanting to listen to what you have to say? Do you have any, is there anything that you specifically do or do you try to... Uh, uh, you know, make, make a little bit, warm them up a little bit, or is there any? Yeah, it, it, it's a good question. Um, I, mean, I always, you know, say something about being thankful to have been invited and, you know, and uh, the, the privilege of of speaking in that uh, particular venue. So I, you know, never jump uh, right into the content, but try, you know, try to, sort of show some appreciation for uh, people um, that are there and people who uh, invited me. But sort of uh, sort of beyond that, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, one thing that I think about just choose, choosing what I speak about is that uh, there's certain things that, you know, I'd be comfortable experimenting with uh, and show that I would obviously, you know, try to keep things as neutral as possible in a certain way. And, uh, you know, every now and then in show, I can maybe say something that's a little bit more controversial or something that's uh, 
a little bit more of like how I really feel about something versus uh, um, I, I try to be conscious of who the audience is and uh, not to say, you know, I don't think uh, speakers should only tell people what they want to hear, but uh, just sort of keep in mind that you don't really know who's in the audience. So like what kind of sensitivities can come up? Uh -huh. uh, I just want to ask you a couple more technical questions, technical questions. Um, things like uh, where where do you what's your, where you go to Sparum or resources uh, to come up with content yeah i have a wonderful library of stuff um Nikos Kodalos is obviously the the starting is one starting point um and a lot of you know a lot of you know, the stuff they can find in Alhatara um classic classical but um Soloveitchik Rabbi Lam Uznaim Latora um, is a favorite of mine, Rev Zalman Sretskin. Um, and I have like a, I have a, I have a couple of stories from Steinsaltz. Um, right behind me also, I've got a new uh, set of Rabbi uh, Barrel Wines uh, dreshas, uh, Rabbi Nevinsalz. So uh, you know, I, I'm always on the lookout for good farm on the Parsha. Um, that I can uh, that I can draw from. So yeah, Rabbi Baruch Simon, also Imer Baruch um, from YU, um, also can be a good uh, starting point. Um, also some Chassidish stuff and Sivas Shalom. Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah. What about in terms of uh, stories or anecdotes or things like that? Where where do you statistics or, or interesting things like that? Where where do you draw from? So, I, I do have I do have some storybooks, but it's like hard to it's hard to kind of like look for a story. Google's a little bit more helpful there. Um, I think I mean biographies are are interesting. So, but uh, I think earlier on I was more likely to sort of like Google to look for something, which I might still do sometimes. But I definitely feel like that. Um, that either like things that I personally experienced or things that, you know, I know somebody who experienced something or, or, you know, if I'm using like a pop culture reference, um, you know, that's something that's like per something that particularly speaks to me, I think is a better way to go. Cause I, I think it's just a, it's a, it's a more authentic, uh, way of, uh, it's more authentic way of going when you talk about something that like something that actually like is part of your life and that, that interests you. So I think it's, uh, as opposed to just like, I found this like random thing on the internet. Okay, so I mean, statistics, you know, I have to do a little bit of research, but. Um, and, like Harry Potter? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so like, you know, like Harry Potter, like I like actually when I, you know, when I introduced the Drusha with Harry Potter, I talked about how like it was a big part of my childhood. Um, and same thing could go for the occasional movie or TV show. I'm not really a big movie or TV show buff, but if there's something that's, you know, related, I feel like, uh, you know, something that, you know, that I drew from uh, myself, I feel like, uh, um, I feel like it's much easier to, uh, to weave in. Um, there was one time that I, I felt like a dress, a particular dress needed to open with a joke. So I went through Rabbi Joseph Tulushkin's, uh Jewish humor book, uh, kind of perused it a little bit and actually found a joke that I really thought, but, but even like when I use a joke, um, you know, the goal is not to, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a comedian. I don't think I'm, yeah. I have thoroughly, you know, I might have a throwaway line that's, uh, that, that's funny sort of in the moment, but 
um, I wouldn't say I'm a big uh, joke teller, but if um, but if there's something that I think really um, so I, I don't do it just for the purpose of like warming up an audience, but if it's something that really actually gets to the core of the message of the drusha, I found that could be an effective way to open. Sure. Do you collaborate at all with uh, do you have peers that you collaborate with, or or do you kind of operate the drusha in a, in a vacuum? Uh, occasionally, I, I'm in some WhatsApp groups where people, you know, discuss what they're talking about. So, um, so there, there have been there have been some times where um, I've asked somebody what they're talking about or their WhatsApp group situation that you know get ideas and you know things can kind of come collaboratively. But um, I'm off, I'm off, I'm often really thinking on my own of what I want to do. Yeah. Um... Awesome. And the last question I have for you would be um, if you could go back in time and, and give yourself some advice as a young rabbi starting out, knowing what, what you know now uh, in terms of speaking and, and, you know, what works and what doesn't work, what, what would what would you have told yourself? I think one thing I've really learned over time is that. I don't know if I can give a number to this, but let's say 60 or even 75 percent of the job is confidence and preparation and the more confident they are the more prepared you are the easier it is to be passionate about what you're talking about and you're not sort of worrying about um you're not trying to remember what you want to say you're not worrying about what you wanted to say but if you come forth with that um confidence preparation so then the passion comes forth and it's much easier to deliver a much more effective trash or, or or whatnot so um so I, I, I think about that when, when I'm preparing also that, um, that uh, you know, I, I really try to make sure that everything is as prepared as possible and that, uh, that I'm prepared to be passionate about what I'm speaking about. Okay, that's awesome. You've been listening to The Magid Method, and I'm Daniel Steinberg. There's a secret that great public speakers know. Did you know there's a method for cutting straight through to an audience's heart? grabbing their attention and holding it, and making a memorable impact with your presentation? The best speakers in the world utilize it, and now you can too, every time you get up to speak. Download your free Magid Method of Public Speaking template at magidmethod.com, M-A-G-G-I-D-M-E-T-H-O-D.com. The Magid Method will teach you how to find your authentic voice, craft meaningful presentations, manage people's attention, and build unbreakable bonds with your audience. Go to magidmethod.com and download your free copy now. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.